I always like to say that I can't afford it is a lie. It's a half truth. Yeah. Because if you don't have the money in your bank account at this very, very moment, there's a truth to that statement. However, the question is, if you can't afford it right now, are you willing to do the work that you can afford it at some point in the future? Today's episode is sponsored by the Artist Incubator. Want to accelerate your art sales? I can show you how. Go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz, as in the letter B-I-Z to apply. You'll get a free profit planning session if you qualify, and you'll learn more about working with me. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, passion maker. This is artist Miriam Shulman. You're listening to episode number 129 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so happy that you're here. Shout out to my newest listeners in Hungary, India, Mexico, and oh my God, Mozambique. Hello. I am so grateful that you're here. Today, we're going to talk all about the emotional side of money. In this episode, you'll discover why you don't manage your money, you manage your choices. Why goals are the portrait of the future you want to create, and why we have a part to play in the manifestation of our blessings. Today's guest focuses on the human side of money. She works as a financial behaviorist and is committed to getting you to see that you don't manage your money, you manage your choices around money. In addition to being the author of Financial Intimacy, How to Create a Healthy Relationship with Your Money and Your Mate, and a frequent blogger and podcaster. She also has programs that help entrepreneurs and small business owners tackle the question, what should I charge for this? I know I get asked that question by all of you all the time. So if your emotions are getting in the way, I'm sure she'll be able to help you. She helps her clients price more confidently, strategically, and in such a way that propels their business and life forward. And she's also the host of the podcast, More Than Money. When she's not providing behavioral-based financial coaching, she's traveling the country for speaking engagements or dropping in virtually on masterminds. Our guest holds an MBA in finance from Fordham University, and she was an undergrad in marketing from FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology. This combination, she credits in part for being able to blend her analytical mind and creative spirit. I'm sure you are going to love her. Please welcome to the inspiration place, Jaquette Timmons. Hey, Jacquette, welcome to the show. I am so delighted to be here. Thank you, Miriam. This is so exciting. I have a ton of questions to ask you. Talking about this upcoming interview with my husband in the car, I said, yeah, I invited a financial literacy expert. He says, oh, you're going to talk about like spreadsheets and balance sheets. I was like, oh, God, no, that is not (laughs) what we're talking about. (laughs) 
So I said, you know, maybe if they like her and they join one of her programs, she may have some training on that. But that's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) Well, that's really, really funny. And we'll have to talk about the term financial literacy because I do not like that term at all. Okay. Well, why I like you is you have a book called Financial Intimacy. Yes. And I have to confess that I thought the book was going to be about our relationship with money, like becoming intimate with our own numbers. And it was more about how our intimacy with other people affects how we handle money. I say it's a two-way street. I say that your relationship with money impacts how you relate to other people and what you expect of them in the context of your relationships. And then at the same time, it also flows in the opposite direction. Your relationships with other people and what they expect of you in the context of money impacts your relationship with money. So it's not really either or, it's a flow. Yeah, that's what's interesting. Yes. Right, not the spreadsheets. Let's get this out of the way from the very beginning. It's important to track your money using something. Yes, absolutely. Let's just talk about that first and get it out of the way. And then we're going to talk about all the juicy stuff. Yeah, totally. And so here's the thing, right? I believe that most people couch tracking purely from the standpoint of budgeting. And I don't. I think that that can be really useful. But I think tracking is more beneficial from the standpoint of it is a way of collecting data. And I'm of the mindset that you can never interrupt a pattern that you don't notice. And when you're collecting data, you are collecting information in the form of digits, perhaps, and in the form of a lot of other things that helps you to see a pattern that you would not normally see if you weren't tracking your money. So that's why I'm a huge proponent of tracking, however it is that you do so. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because I track my money and I don't do it to budget. Yeah, no, I, I don't I, at all. Like I do it because I want to know, well, how much did I make? <laughs> That's really why I right. do it. I want right. to know at any well, given time. Yep. How much did you make? And then not only that, because I have listened to a few of your podcasts, you want to know total how much did you make? And then also how much did you make in particular categories? Because that can help inform whether or not you want to expend as much energy or even more energy moving forward into that thing, because you also get a chance to measure, was the return on investment? Was the return on energy? Was it what you thought it was going to be? Yeah. I'm always sad. Let's call it, let's use the emotion sad when (laughs) I'm talking to a client and I ask them, how much did you make doing, we'll just make something up, doing pet portraits versus like your art classes and they can't tell me. Yeah. I was like, well, how can we make you more profitable if you don't know what's already working? Right, exactly. Also, also, I find so many people, I call this the painted rock problem where they spend so much time making something that's cheap. Right, And they Mm -hmm. think that the volume is going to make up for it, and it never does. Nope. And I always say to folks, you know, you can choose where you want to be on the spectrum, right? Meaning, I like a hamburger. I like me a really good hamburger. And I don't make them at home. So we've been on lockdown forever. hamburger inside a restaurant in forever. I'd love to use this example of you can get a hamburger at McDonald's. You can get a hamburger at a diner. You can get a hamburger at a bistro or a pub, a neighborhood bistro or pub, or you can get it at a steakhouse. 
Each of those are going to be different price points. Each of those, you know, because of those different price points, it means that the quality of the beef will be different. The quality of your entire dining experience will be different. And so McDonald's does really well and they do well in terms of volume and the steakhouse. I mean, all they all do well, right? McDonald's will do well based on volume. So I'm not going to knock that. But you as an artist need to really understand and recognize, do you only want to work there? Do you want to have a few things that you're doing, quote unquote, at volume? Or do you want to have a diversity of offers where you've got some things at volume, but you have even more? And when I say more, I don't necessarily mean quantity but more work that you're doing that's really classified as premium. Yeah, I don't think any artist wants to be the McDonald's. Right, exactly. But that's how they act, though. But, like, but I was about to say, yeah. they don't want, they, they would <laughs> cringe with that association. Right. And yet that's how they are approaching yes. their body of work. Yes. And by the way, here are some telltale signs that you are being a McDonald's. By the way, <laughs> painted rocks, handmade <laughs> magnets. Spending time on creating anything for Cafe Press, basically. Any of those things. That's McDonald's. Right. We want to be the Tiffany's of artists. Yes, absolutely. Because it's less work for more money. You get a higher return on your effort and on your energy and return on money, return on investment. Now, I've had so many people, though, that I serve, mostly women, We've been socialized as women that it's really, that's not cool to talk about money. Well, here's the thing, right? I think that we talk about money all the time. I just don't think we're having the right conversations. Yes. Women, I think, are indeed socialized very differently about money than men. But I think even when it comes to talking about it, we'll talk about that sale. We'll talk about that bargain. That's talking about money. Right. What we typically, though, won't talk about is what we most want or what are our values or, you know what? I did X and that didn't quite turn out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. And so now I am forever shy about doing that. Those are the kinds of conversations that we are typically not having because those are the conversations that really put a spotlight and illuminate aspects of our identity, Mm. um, aspects of the behavior that we've had in the past that we might not like the consequences of today. It might, you know, highlight the values that we have that may or may not be in alignment with our family of origin. I mean, there are just so many different things that's kind of wrapped up in money. And those are the kinds of things that we don't typically talk about. As a result, we say, oh, we don't talk about money, but I think we talk about it all the time when you hear people talking about the bargains or the sales or they'll say, oh, you know what? I bought XYZ stock and now it's sky high, but they won't tell you when it drops. (laughs) Yes. Right? My son has indoctrinated me into that whole GameStop thing. Oh my God. Days before it hit the paper. So it's like- It's so fascinating. Yeah. It's a fascinating story. Yeah. He's 20. So he's right in there with the whole Reddit mm-hmm. crowd. Like he knew mm-hmm. all about that. Tell me what you think about this. Women who, when they talk about what they do, many of them, it has to be because it saves the world. Like it can't just be they want the money because they want the money. It has to be about how they're serving. What do you? What are your thoughts about that? I think so many of what we do and how we think about things that are money and money adjacent are through the lens of either or Mm. as opposed to both and. 
So how can you save the world and at the same time make money? Like, how can you make both of those be right? Like, why does one have to be right, quote unquote, and the other wrong? You see it also when people talk about debt. I am not of the opinion that you've got to pay off all your debt before you can start saving. If you've got debt, you hopefully can do both. Even if it Mm. means it will take you a little bit longer to get out of debt, I feel like it's better to do both and. So pay off your debt and at the same time, make sure that you're setting aside money that you're saving as well. So I think a lot of it stems from this idea that things are either or as opposed to making space and room for both and. Yeah, let's cut right to the chase. This is why I'm familiar with you because you've gone on other people's podcasts. And I know you speak to people's masterminds. In your business, who is it that you're helping and why? My business has three pillars, if you will. I am a for hire speaker. And so I do a lot of work for law firms or Fortune 100, 500 companies going in house and doing financial workshops with the law firms for their partners and associates for the other country, uh, countries, for the other companies, their employees. I also, you know, host my own events. As you made mention, I host a pricing masterclass. I host a dinner series and then I do one on one coaching. And that one-on-one coaching is primarily aimed at entrepreneurs and small business owners. And these are people who are really darn good at what it is that they do, whatever that discipline is, but maybe not so good at the the business side of it. (laughs) And it starts to show up because, you know, they're making sales, but they're not making as many sales as they'd like, or they're making a lot of money, but they are still feeling really, really broke. Mm. Or they're making money and they can't figure out why is it that they can't hire someone. And they're like, what the heck is going on? And so it's a business issue that comes to their awareness because it's showing up in their finances. And so I come in to help them actually take a look at it through the lens of this issue that you are seeing. It's actually a reflection of many different relationships, your relationship with money, with yourself with your business and the people that you serve. And so through that, we take a look at their business model, their sales process, and their pricing to help them get to a point where they're rocking and rolling and feeling good. Can you give some specific example of a way somebody self-sabotages because of their their relationship with money? Oh my goodness. I I think a common one- It's a fake name, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think a common one is undercharging. Yeah. You know, completely undercharging and and not only undercharging, but sometimes not even really being fully aware that you're undercharging (laughs) or sometimes you know it and but you don't feel confident enough to raise your pricing. So I think that's a clear, clear example of that. I coach a lot of artists who do pet portraits because that is a huge business. And when they have trouble raising their prices, I say, well, you have a pet, right? And they go, yeah. How much did you spend on your last vet bill? (laughs) Usually a lot more than they're charging for their paintings. And I, my poor kitty was sick and we had to take her to the vet yesterday. It was $500. Ouch. I know, because she's a sick (laughs) kitty. And a lot of artists are not charging more than $200 for a pet portrait. And I think most people rather have a painting after they spent that kind of money than just the bill. Like I, all I have to show for, for my, I mean, it's right, treating my cat yes. clearly, but right. right right now all I have is a piece of paper that shows all the things I did to treat my right. cat. 
But the point is, is that if somebody is like me, where I'm willing to continually put that money into my pet, and pets are a multi-billion dollar business, just in the US alone, people spend billions of dollars on their pets. That's amazing. Oh, it is amazing. That's why that's why there are a lot of pet portrait artists, because it's, <laughs> it's a business. It's a healthy business. But wrapping your head around the idea that, oh, yes, and they will spend money on art of their pets. Right. One of the reasons that I think pricing is hard Mm. from the standpoint of we tend to project our buying behavior onto other people. Yeah. So the artists might feel like, oh my goodness, I, I would never pay that and therefore they won't charge it. And they could be completely wrong about it. Or they might say, I would pay that, but not think that somebody else would and therefore don't charge it. It can be potentially financially sabotaging, self-sabotaging if you find yourself in that situation. So let me give you a concrete example, but take it away from art. So I have a friend who will spend, I mean, I kid you not, $200, $300, $400 on a pair of jeans. I happen to think that that's absolutely crazy, but I also don't wear jeans. There was a group of us and I made a comment about, why would you do that? And then a mutual friend of ours said, but wait a second, Jacquette, you would spend that much on a pair of shoes, true, on a blouse, true, on a dress, true. And it was just like, oh yeah, I wouldn't spend that much money on a pair of jeans, but it's not that I wouldn't spend that much money on any other kind of clothing item or accessory. And so I think that that's just a really great way of just illuminating for people how when we extend that behavior into our work, we can find ourselves where we're leaving money that we shouldn't be leaving on the table. Yeah, I think what a lot of artists do is because it's easy for them and it doesn't take them a lot of time, they don't value it as much. And you have to remember that the person who is investing in it, it's not easy for them. They don't know how to do it. Even if they are an artist, they don't know how to do it the way you do it. And that's why they wanted, because artists do buy art, by the way. Yeah. I know, at least I do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's true for sure. I always like to say that I can't afford it is a lie. It's a half truth. Yeah. Because if you don't have the money in your bank account at this very, very moment, there's a truth to that statement. However, the question is, If you can't afford it right now, are you willing to do the work that you can afford it at some point in the future? Yeah, where I was going with it, I I love what you said. And where I was going with this little different is most of the time that statement is because they don't value it. Like, for example, you won't buy $200 pair of jeans. By the way, I might, but I wear the same pair of jeans until like my thighs have rubbed a hole in in it and and then I buy my new pair. Okay. Right. right. But I would never, ever spend $3,000 on a Chanel bag. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I can't afford it, but I don't want to spend my money that way. Right. Right. I think it's very disempowering when people say, oh, I can't afford that. And it's really that they choose not to spend it. Like unless they're like in the position and that's not what we're talking about, where they really don't have, you know, they're on the street and they don't have money to keep the lights on. But that's not what we're talking about. Right. Also, people feeling comfortable saying no, which is something that Mm -hmm. as women, we are not conditioned to so easily say, right? And so instead of saying, no, I don't want that, 
no, I don't like that. No, that's not my style. That's not my taste. Instead of saying that, some people might defer to, I can't afford it because that's something that a lot of that will resonate with a lot more people than perhaps saying just no. (laughs) But I think it's really a bad habit for us to say that because you start internalizing that you can't afford it whenever you say that, when it's really more empowering just to be very mindful of your words and saying, I choose not to spend my money that way. Exactly. Yeah. We're saying the same thing. Yeah. We're we're saying the exact same thing. Yeah. Totally. Okay, good. I'm gl- I always like when people agree with me. All right. Uh, now I, don't, I don't mind arguing with my guests. By the way, I wanted to make sure you know that I just had two spots open up inside the Artist Incubator. So if you're lacking a solid strategy or a winning mindset, and you've been disappointed by your current art sales, I can help you with that. If you've been listening to this podcast and you found my tips helpful, Maybe it's time to take the next logical step and work with me on a deeper level. The incubator program is for both professional and emerging artists who are ready to invest in their career and join a dynamic community who are all doing the same. Please go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz to apply now. Now back to the show. All right. I want to dig into some of the juiciness that's in your book. Some things have to do with money. Some things don't. So we're just going to like bop around. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So one thing that I really like that you said is giving your savings a purpose. Can you elaborate on that? Yes. So I think we, as a culture, have a tendency to do a couple of things. One, focus on saving, talk about saving, but only look at it as if it is this one big comprehensive bucket where all your money that you're saving goes into. I find that the challenge with that is if you've got multiple goals, which hopefully everyone has, all of those different goals, there's a financial component to them, or at least to 99.9% of them. And if you've got a separate bucket for each of those different goals, or for at least for those goals that are of a similar nature, it is a lot easier to keep track of the progress that you're making toward saving for those goals. So if you are, whenever we can start really going on vacations again, (laughs) if you've got a, a savings bucket, if you've got a bucket for buying those, you know, $200 jeans and you want to buy five pairs or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you might have as something that you want to set money aside for. If you're doing that over time, A, you can see the progress that you're making as you're contributing to it. You can see how much further you have to go. And here's the other thing it informs how you manage your cash flow right now and whether or not that saving is a liquid type of saving or that saving is an investing type of saving. Mm. And so that's why I highlight the importance of giving your savings a purpose and a goal. And then do you recommend that they actually be in separate accounts? Like this is my retirement savings. This is what I'm saving for a car. This is my- I do. Money. Okay. I do. And there are, there are some financial institutions that make it very easy for you to have multiple accounts that are you know, connected and that they don't charge you for all those multiple accounts either. That's the key. So yeah, yeah. I do. Is Chase one of them? Because that's where my money is. No. <laughs> right. I might be moving away from them. Okay. <laughs> or you know what? 
you don't have to move away from them. You can have, I, I believe in having a diverse financial portfolio. So you can have your account there and then you can have another account. And I can give you some names off air if you want of where you can go. Okay. Sounds cool. Cause we're both in New York, by the way, for our yeah. listeners who don't know. Like why we're talking about like the weather, the hamburgers and. Uh, right. And we can also talk about, remember Leona Helmsley? She left all her money to her dog when you were talking about oh, right. people in their pets. <laughs> That's a great story. Oh, yeah. Do you have a pet? I have a cat. Yes. Oh, her name we're cat Ella. people. Yes, 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 yes. She was my mommy's cat. And so I inherited her and I just love her to pieces. Oh, Okay, so this was another interesting thing you said. You have very unique philosophy about making stress your friend. I don't think I ever heard that before. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think a lot of times we are told that both stress and fear are things that we should avoid. And I'm of the mindset that if you actually are feeling stressful or feeling fear, if you take a moment and pause and ask, what is this trying to tell me? That's where it can be your friend because that's where it can give you some insight and some information that you might not be privy to because you're all tensed and tight mm-hmm. and, you know, feeling fearful and fear- feeling stressful. A quick story around how I came to that form of enlightenment was scuba diving. I had gone down to Tortola to do my checkout dives. And for the particular certification that I was going for, you had to do nine dives. And each dive, you got deeper. You went down further and further. So my total depth was was 90 feet. My first dive went really, really well. Second dive, not so much. Second dive was a backward flip into the water off the side of the boat. By the time I hit the water, my regulator came out, my goggles came off. I was just all discombobulated, calmed down, did what I needed to do, came back up. And the dive master said, that's the best thing that could have ever happened to you. And it was a woman, which was really unusual to have a woman dive master back in the 90s anyway. And she said, the day you get on this boat and you are not a little bit afraid is the day you better not go diving. And she said, your problem was your first dive went so, so well that you got a little cocky (laughs) and you didn't double check everything before you went on your second dive. So I've gotten to the point where when I feel stress, when I feel fear, I don't try to like wish it away, but I get curious and I interrogate it and try to see what is it trying to get me to pay attention to. Oh, that's so interesting. All right. So make stress your friend. Next on the jacquette truisms. (laughs) give yourself credit for what you do well. Yeah. We live in a culture where we focus so much on our faults. We focus on our mistakes, whether it be our own, whether it be other people's. Yeah. It's it's called the what's wrong with me project. Yeah, exactly. Instead of what's right without me. Exactly. Exactly. And so- I feel like we need to make sure that we're spending some time, if not maybe even a little bit more time, giving ourselves credit for what we do well. And I think especially when it comes to money, it's really helpful if you take stock of, you know, when did you have a financial win? When did you, you know, quote that price that maybe felt a little uncomfortable because it was higher than you had ever quoted before? And someone said, yes, celebrate that. Or when did you pay off a credit card bill? Celebrate that. Or, you know, whatever it is, make sure that you are not just skipping over the moment and you're pausing to appreciate it. I'm going to use the word pause to segue into my completely unrelated statement. Sure. You quoted Lauren Berman Fortgang. Yes. Her quote, get quiet more often and let the dream find you. 
I was like highlighting under. <laughs> so by the way, I always, I never read with a Kindle. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say never. Like if I, if I'm like pinched because I, I need a book and it's not arrived in time and I, I, uh-huh. I might use a Kindle. I love like writing in books and highlighting and yours got the full treatment. Lots Yay! of writing, lots of underlining. I love it. But this one really, I loved. Get quiet more often and let the dream find you. Can you elaborate on that? One of the other questions that goes along with that that I got from her is the question of what do I need to know? For me, both that question and her quote, it really stems from the, the point that we're so busy moving that we don't take the time to get still, to get quiet, and actually let the answers come to us. Because a lot of the times, the, the things that we're struggling with, you know, what should we do with our business? What should we do with our money? How much should we charge for it? Yes, there are some tactical and strategic things that we need to do. But if we got a little bit more quiet or got quiet a little bit more often, the ideas that we might need to help move the needle are right there. There's so much noise that we can't hear it. So that's where that comes into play for me. Also, we need to like turn our phones off, not fill every minute of boredom because boredom and mind wandering is so good for creativity. It is. It is. It is. And I need to get better at not being on my phone all the time. Yeah, no, I, I say it because I'm just as guilty. I'm not sitting here as like the high priestess who like, mm-hmm. you know, keeps my phone off. Yeah. That, that usage has gone up quite a bit in the last... Yeah, well, especially 2020. <laughs> That's a verb now, you know. 2020. It's- How you feeling? 2020. <laughs> <laughs> We're still in it though. What happened? You I thought are. on January 1st it was supposed to end. It was, but I know. version 2.0. Right? Okay, don't count what you don't have. Yeah, so you know where this comes into play. So let's say you get a new client, but they haven't paid you yet for your artwork, but you're claiming the payment. That's not good because what if they change their mind? Maybe that doesn't work. Maybe that never happens in the art world. Oh, wait, I don't no, 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 no. Let's let's. This is a valuable lesson. Do not start painting until if you're a commissioned artist or could be a different kind of artist. Don't start that commission before you get the money. Exactly before you get that deposit. I no. was in a Facebook group where the woman did that same problem like three times and I got so sick of giving her the same advice I finally had to block her it was like I didn't want to hear her complain one more time that she started a commission and the person changed their mind yep it's also I think energetically like you're letting the universe know that it's okay to do this you know you really like you don't start even talking about the project until they've given you money yep that's it like negotiate with them fine yep Mm -hmm. but don't start it until you have Cha-ching-ching in your account. Cha-ching-ching, exactly. I do not consider it in my account until it's in my account. It does not go on my tracking. Even if the agreement has been signed, the amount of the contract does not go into my spreadsheet until I either have the payment in full or the first payment. See, it's interesting that you said that because I thought what this meant, because this is where I'm really guilty of, like in January... I launched a class where I made $42,000, but in my mind, I had made that money before it showed up. And what was really showing up in January was negative (laughs) 12,000. Well, that too, that too. (laughs) Like it wasn't in my account yet. And I, but in my mind, I had earned it. 
here is actually the very sad thing. So meanwhile, my father-in-law passed away. Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, he had, he had COVID. So that was my January. But I almost didn't have that launch. I had to cancel a masterclass. I almost didn't close that right. deal. I could have ended the month negative 12,000, not right. what I made. So right. that's where actually I thought you meant like, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Well, I, I do mean that too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> don't, don't spend what you have does mean that as well. <laughs> right. Until it's there, don't count it. Like I'm getting a new website. I'm yep. like, you know, I did all those things and it was like January is very expensive month. Yes, yes. Okay, so I want to end with one more very practical piece of advice. This is something like I heard before, but meanwhile, I didn't do it, which is make copies of the contents of your wallet and put it in a safe deposit box. So true. I mean, think about it. If something were to happen, even if it is not an end of life event, like let's just say something happens and you're in the hospital, your wallet's not with you. There's not, it's not on your person, but people need to be able to get in touch on your behalf with your financial institutions. Where are they going to go? Now, granted, that means that they need to have access to the safe deposit. So that's another issue. But I think it's important to make copies of all your credit cards, your debit cards, any insurance documents, like whatever is in your wallet. Do not have your social security card in there, but whatever else is in your wallet that is considered a personally identifiable document, have a copy of it and preferably have it in a safe deposit box or someplace where only a few people know about it so that if they need to get in touch with these institutions, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to do. Yeah. And then even just with the things that happen, like your your wallet gets lost or stolen, that it just makes it easier for you to like, right. well, which credit cards do I have and who right. do I need to contact? Yeah. And you know what you might want to do is you might want to make it a habit so that <laughs> as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, oh, I need to do this myself. Do it at either the start of the year or your birthday as an annual reminder of, oh, let me make sure. Because we all get replacement cards, right? We may not get replacement cards every year, but we get replacement cards. And so you want to make sure you've got the most recent one. That's fantastic. We're going to wrap up in a moment. I would love to cut if you could tell everyone about your pricing masterclass. Who is that for? Yes, it is for anyone who is struggling with their pricing and that which struggle, is every, which is everybody well, who listens to right. the show. I just want you to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, wait, if, let me just say, not everybody who listens to this show wants to sell their art. Everybody who wants to monetize struggles with pricing. Right. Exactly. And so if you're trying to figure out what is that right price for you and your people, because here's the other thing. The question, what should I charge for this is universal. The answer is not. And if you are struggling figuring out what is the price that you should come up with for your art, if you haven't figured that out yet, or you want to figure out how to improve it, that is who the pricing masterclass is for. And as I mentioned at the top, the way that I approach pricing is by looking at it from all three sides, the financial, the emotional, and the personal. And the way we get into all of that is by looking at your relationship with money, with yourself, with your business, and with your people, because all of that is wrapped up into that number. You might see for example, $10,000 and how you relate to that $10,000 is one way and your clients or customers, they might see that and relate to it another way. And you're trying to make sure that there's some synergy in terms of those reactions. It's fantastic. I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to check that out. It's jaquettetimmons.com forward slash pricing dash masterclass. And you can find the links to that in the show notes 
it's on your app. You can click through. But shulmanart.com forward slash 129 is today's show. All right. We're going to just ask for your last words in a moment. But I just want to remind everybody, if you like this episode, check out the Artist Incubator. It's my private coaching program for professional and emerging artists. I actually, as of this recording, I only have two spots, but I do have room. So if you want to take your current art business to the next level, I will show you how to make more money from your art. It's by application only. Go to shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z as in biz. If you qualify, then you'll get a free strategy session with me so you can see if you're a great fit and we'll discuss the steps you need to take to reach your goals and thrive. All righty, Shaquette, do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete? Yeah, you know, just remember, we bounce around the language, talking about watching your language, that, you know, you manage money. And I would love for people to really replace that with you manage your choices around money. So if you get more curious about the choices that you're making and why you're making that, and I'm purposefully using the word curious as you ask the question why and not coming at it from a place of judgment. But if you do that, you will probably get a little bit more insight and that will just at the end of the day, help you make better, smarter choices. Oh, you were such a great guest. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I loved your questions and thank you for reading the book. I really appreciate that. Oh, well, it's good. uh, You'll find a link to her book in the show notes as well. Financial intimacy. All right, my art lover, thank you so much for being with me here today. We'll see you the same time, same place next week. Stay inspired. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course, on shulmanart.com.